0: We are downtown, we are historic, we are family, we are scriptural, we are First Baptist Church.
1: Sometimes you just don't know how to respond, but you can say amen. amen. That better be your call, everybody. When the Spirit asks you to do something, you better do it. To say, I'm going to sing. I'm going to pray. I'm going to shout, sometimes even preach. But may we be ready, whatever the Spirit calls us to do. Would you follow along as I read from Psalm 18, the first three verses. If you're reading the in-between chapters of 2 Samuel leading up from 20 to 24, which is next week, you're going to see these very words um, couched in a different psalm. But listen from Psalm 18. It says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Let us rejoice and sing that great and glorious name. Would you take your hymnal? Turn to 204. Let's stand together and sing. Glorious is thy name. great name of Jesus and welcome those around you to worship this morning.
0: Good morning and welcome to worship. I hope you feel like I do, just ready and to continue to sing together, pray together, worship together, claim those truths of the gospel together. Let me just read a passage, of scripture to you that was a good reminder for me. Being filled with the Spirit, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's not just a command that Paul gives us. For me, it's food to my soul. I think there's a beautiful thing that when we gather, God intends for us to proclaim the excellencies of his son, but also to be nourished so that we can continue to follow him faithfully in this very challenging world that we live in. My name is Danny Panter. I'm one of the associate pastors on staff here in this First Baptist family, and it is a delight to be here. If you're a guest with us, let me say thank you for coming We know it's no easy task to walk into an unknown place among unknown people and worship. And so we are so grateful that you're here. In the pew in front of you, there's a small card just for you. It says Connect card. If you would just honor us by filling that out. And later on in the service, the offering plate will come your way. If you would just put that in there so that we can begin a friendship with you. Are we ready to continue to worship? Let's pray together. Father, we delight in your name. We rejoice in your Son. We ask that you lead us by the power of your Spirit. May you be blessed and may we be blessed by this worship today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
1: I tell you what, it's already been a great day. Pastor Danny starts with my life verse to sing to one another. Isn't that a great word? That is the truth, friends. We are created to praise. Do you know that? One of the reasons that God created us is so that we would just praise his name. Scripture says, here's the qualification all that hath life and breath. That means you. Oh, I'm excited. It's a good day. It's a good day when you got a great bass line in a, in a hymn, and Pastor Danny's singing behind me. So I asked him in the early services if he was going to sing his sermon. How many be okay with that? Yeah. Amen. We continue in worship as we have been reading 2 Samuel 20 this week. As we've been reading Second Samuel for, for 12 weeks. It's a reminder to us that we are not marked by our failures. That's not what God wants us to be known by. He wants us to be known by the redeeming love of his son. By his blood that makes us all righteous and only through that. So as we continue in this time of worship, consider what God has done for you. He's not marked you by your sins, friends. It's by his redeeming love. Here's James 1, 12 through 15. Follow along as I read. It says this, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. This is God's word. As we sing these next hymns, I want you to hear the word crown. We've been thinking about David as the king of of Israel, of Judah. But let's think of this, this king of kings as we sing in worship. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. Hymn 45, let's sing. for your worship. You may be seated.
0: All right. All right, kids. If you would join me right down here for kids' time. Oh, look at them run. That's awesome. That's awesome. Can I, can I have room right here? Y'all are great. Y'all are great. Y'all look fantastic. Oh, I'm going to set my foot right there. Oh, man. Um, it is... Such a wonderful thing for me to have an opportunity to sit with you today. Now, listen, I've been working on something for weeks. For weeks, I've been working. Now, I need you to help me out here because the folks out there can't see what's in this cup. So I'm going to hold this up, and I want you to tell me, what is this? m M&M. and Are you sure it's an Skittle. m m It's a Skittle. Skittle. It's a Skittle. In fact, I have several Skittles in here. Now, this is what I've been working on. I'm going to randomly pick a skittle. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. And I'm going to put it in my mouth. And I'm going to tell you what color it is. I'm going to show it to you first, though. But this is what I need your help with. I'm going to do this maybe two or three times really quickly. But you've got to let everyone else out there whether I'm right or wrong. So if I'm wrong, I want you to say, wrong! Can you do that? Yes. Yeah. Just, just, just practice real quick. Say wrong really loud. Okay. Okay. That's good. Are you, are you ready? Okay, I'm going to just, I'm just, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look. All right, can you just see what color that is? Okay, all right, here we go. It's yellow. I told you I've been working for weeks on this. Okay, All all right, okay, here we go. All right. You can't tell me what color it is. All right. I don't think Skittle has brown anyway. All right. Here we go. All right. Doing another one. All right. Okay. Now, let me just remind you, you cannot tell me the color. Okay. This is part of the thing. You cannot. Okay. Here we go. Red. It was orange. orange. Okay, one more. One more. One more. I'm not looking. Not looking. Purple. You mean You mean to tell me I only got one out of three, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I certainly don't know everything, but let me tell you something about the nature and character of God. If Jesus were doing this exact same thing. He could guess the right color every single time and he would get it right. You want to know why? Because he knows everything. He knows everything. He knows every color that he would have picked and put in his mouth. That's a wonderful truth. Uh, This week I read a psalm. uh, Psalm 120 tells us that God doesn't even sleep or slumber. And let's put those two together. God knows everything about your life and what you're going through. But he nor does he sleep or slumber. So there's never a time in your life when God doesn't know what's going on in your life. That is good news. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so I want you to hold on to that truth that God is a big God who knows all. He knows the small little details of your life. And he doesn't even ever fall to sleep or slumber. He knows your needs and he'll never leave you or forsake you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for that good news that you are really big. And you know all things. You don't even need to sleep. And so, Father, thank you for that truth about your character. Lord, may these kids cling to that truth. May they follow you every day of their life. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's kids said, amen. Amen. All right. Oh, I've got Skittles on the floor. Can y'all help me real quick? Can y'all help me? Let's do this. Help, help, help. There we go. Can I keep Skittles? Just one. Alright. Can I keep? Just one? put it back. Y'all go. <laughs> Can I keep one? Can I keep a Skittle oh, Man? Can I keep oh, a that's good. Uh, Just one. Just one. Just one. Y'all go.
1: <laughs> Let's continue to worship, shall we? <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> As so we prepared to hear from the word from Pastor Danny this morning, I want you to take this hymn and I want you to sing each verse as your personal prayer as you adore who God is. Adore this beautiful Jesus, this beautiful Savior. And let each, let each verse be as if you're the only one singing in this room to give him praise and the glory that he deserves. Will you take your hymnal and turn to 176? Let's stand together. Let's worship.
0: Wow, while we were yet sinners, God sent his son to die for the ungodly. That's us, and that's good news, that we can surrender to a God through his love, sent his son to die for our sin. Man, what a song, what a promise, what a truth. Let's stand with me, please, as we read the scripture together. This is 2 Samuel chapter 20, verses one and two, now a troublemaker named Sheba, son of Becree, a Benjamite, happened to be there. He sounded the trumpet and shouted, we have no share in David, no part in Jesse's son, every man to his tent, Israel. So all the men of Israel deserted David to follow Sheba, son of Bacri, but the men of Judah stayed by their king all the way from the Jordan to Jerusalem. Amen. You may be seated. Note to self, probably shouldn't take Skittles to the kids' sermon. It's all right. For the next few minutes, let me invite you just to sit back and relax as I kind of bring us up to speed where we've been the past 12 weeks in this story David. So those of you who are note-takers, put down your pencil or pen and listen just for a moment. There was a shepherd. His name was David, the son of Jesse and the youngest of several brothers. God chose David to be the next king of Israel and Judah after Saul, whom God had rejected. For David was a man after God's own heart. When everyone trembled at the sight of the giant, David stood in disbelief that nothing had been done. He trusted his God to be with him, and he took down the giant, freeing Israel for the moment from the troublesome Philistines. Quickly gaining popularity as a valiant warrior, he was appointed to the court of Saul. And for a season, he would bring healing to Saul's increasingly troubled spirit. As his stature in the kingdom grew, Saul was commissioned to lead Saul's men into battle because he proved to be a valuable leader. David sought after the Lord, and God blessed David over and over, and Saul grew jealous with every victory God brought David. David went from rising general to fugitive after Saul's jealousy tipped the scales of his teetering mind. Even on the run, though, and in exile, God continued to bless David. It was only a matter of time before Saul's kingdom would collapse and David would assume the throne as was promised by God. Saul, in a battle against the Philistines, died along with some of his sons. Waiting upon the Lord, followed by swift political maneuvering, David was soon crowned king of Judah, the southern kingdom. And seven years later, Israel also crowned him king in Jerusalem, at last a united kingdom under King David. David succeeded where Saul did not by defeating the many nations around them. Finally, there was peace and security and a new palace, but no temple to house the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's abiding presence among his chosen people. So before even consulting God, David thought it only fitting that he should build a temple for their God. Even Nathan the prophet agreed, but God intervenes and says, No, this is not for you to do. There is way too much blood on your hands. But I will make a lasting covenant with you. I don't need you to build me a house. If I did, I would have commanded it. But I will build you an everlasting house. Your son will be my son. I will never reject him. And he will be the one to build my temple as a permanent symbol of my presence among my people. And there will always be a son of David on your throne. David rejoiced. Seasons passed. And one day, while the men of the kingdom are off to war, David falls in his spiritual complacency. On his roof, he sees a woman. He desires her, and because he is king, he takes her for himself. Kills her husband, along with other men who are caught in the cover-up, and marries the same woman he assaulted to hide this grave sin. But God knows. He sends Nathan, the prophet, to confront him. David's heart is cut to the quick and he repents, but not without significant consequences and punishment. Violence. Sexual brokenness and death will rise like a cancer in his own house, God promises. Amnon, his oldest son, gives into his own lust and commits an equally heinous act against his half-sister, Tamar. David does nothing, no justice. Absalom, her brother, and David's son hates him and never forgives him for the injustice done. So he murders Amnon and years later leads a rebellion against his own father and king, claiming the throne for himself. These are perhaps the darkest days of David's reign, a house and kingdom divided. He longs for restoration and reconciliation with Absalom, but it will never come. Over 20,000 men have to die to put down the rebellion, and against his deepest desires, Absalom also dies. Sons die. Violence only increases. Brokenness is everywhere. Peace doesn't last with the squelching of the rebellion, maybe just days. Then the tenuous relationship between the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes and Judah splits wide open, and yet another rebel leader unites the Israelites against David and Judah. This time, David will not delay. He will act swiftly. He cannot afford another war. The ground is already soaked with blood. He immediately rallies more men and advances against the new rebel leader, Sheba, besieging a northern city called Abel. You can take a deep breath now. No rest. There's no rest. These last few weeks have been exhausting, haven't they? Draining evening. It seems week after week after week, there has been this constant theme of sin, consequences of sin, brokenness, violence and death, rebellion, all springing out of David's sin on that rooftop and beyond. Some of us are saying, let's move on already. Can we just get to the New Testament? These chapters are so hard. How are you going to preach that, Danny? But the narrator won't let us go. He's been very intentional to remind us of the cost of David's sin over and over again. In three ways, I just want to mention them. First off, we've already read them, 2 Samuel 21-2, through 2, with the rise of Sheba, Sheba the rebel. It's a reminder that seeing always brings separation, division, and disunity at home and in the kingdom. It's very real. It doesn't go away. Then 2 Samuel 20 verse 3 says this, And David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten concubines whom he had left to care for the house. Do you remember? He left the ten concubines concubines to take care of the house when he was fleeing Jerusalem out of fear of Absalom. Remember this? And so the narrator is pointing back to Absalom and what he did. And the David came to his house at Jerusalem and the king took the ten concubines whom he had left to care for the house and put them in a house under guard and provided for them but did not go into them. So they were shut up until the day of their death, living as if in widowhood. The narrator very clearly reminds us that sexual brokenness because of David's sin is perpetuated in his own house over and over. First with Amnon, then with Absalom. It never goes away. The consequences of sin are dire. And then chapter 20 verses 8 through 10, we have the story of Joab. And let me just set this up for a moment. Joab has been demoted because he's killed Absalom's son. Before that, he murdered Abner years before. David is not a friend of Joab, even though he keeps him very closely. So he demotes him from general to subservient to whoever else is in charge. He appoints Amasa in his place. He gives him the generalship. Joab is livid. When he has opportunity, he takes uh, Amasa's life. So let me read this for you. When they were at the great stone that is Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. Now Joab was wearing a soldier's garment, not a general's garment, and over it was a belt with a sword in its sheath, fastened fastened on his thigh. And as he went forward, the sword fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, is it well with you, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not observe the sword that was in Joab's hand. So Joab struck him with with it in the stomach and spilled his guts to the ground without striking a second blow and Amasa died. Joab reminds us that violence will never leave David's house. Joab is the personification of that promise of God, violence will rise up in your home. David cannot shake this ambitious and violent man who may get the job done, but who is willing to do whatever it takes to advance his own political position. Joab was a violent man. And the narrator is belaboring the point for us. Never underestimate the consequences of sinful choices. And some of you know this all too well. Some of you have made a choice in your past where you now face the consequences of that choice. Whether it be separation from a family member or any other kind of consequence, you know exactly what the narrator is trying to tell us. You don't take sin for granted. Sin always, always leads to grave consequences, for the wages of sin is death. The brother of Jesus knew that as well. In verses 14 through 15, he says, "...but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire." Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. When we're exhausted of this constant theme for the past several chapters, maybe then we're about to get it. That it doesn't pay to sin. All the allurement and promises of sin are lies. All that faces us. With the temptation of sin is death and destruction. David knew that all too well. What takes us a few weeks to preach through and read through lasted for the rest of David's life. Think about that for a moment. That one grave decision on a rooftop led to the burden that he had to bear of the consequences of punishment of his sin for the rest of his life, even though he was forgiven which is startling enough. Oh, how he may have longed to go back to that rooftop. If I could just go back, I would have made a different decision. I would have walked away. But he didn't. And for years and years, even to his death, he suffered the consequences of that sin. And the narrator wants us to know that. That the consequences of sin are grave. Never underestimate that choice that we too face, even on this side of the cross. The good news is that the narrator does not leave us there. There is a way. The narrator will say, and we've come full circle, in a way. Chapter twenty tells us that Sheba and his entourage has found the refuge, uh, the refuge. Um, Sheba in the town of Abel. Joab and his army have begun to besiege the city until a wise woman gets word to Joab. She says, Joab, let's talk. She says, I hope for peace and I am a faithful one of Israel and its well-being. This city that you're besieging is an important city. There are other towns dependent on this city. If you besiege this city and destroy this city for the sake of one man, you destroy Abel as well. And not only will many die here and be left homeless, but also countless other towns will be facing hardship. Joab says, oh, no, 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 that's really not my goal. I really don't want to destroy Abel. If you would just give us Sheba, then we will leave your town. This wise woman in Abel takes care of it. Immediately she assesses and weighs the cost Of Joab and the army before her, she sees destruction and pain and death and sorrow. And she immediately takes action. She goes to the townspeople and convinces them, we should not harbor this this man, Rebel Sheba. We must find him. And they do. They dispatch of him quickly. They throw his head over the city wall as evidence. And she saves the city. She saves the city. This wise woman does what David could not do on the rooftop years before. To see reality for what it was. Death, destruction. And I will do whatever it takes to save the city. When faced with a threat of death, when she saw the cost of harboring the rebel Sheba, she determined quickly that it wasn't worth it. She put sin and rebellion to death. This is far more than history. It's a message to us save the city save your life see rebellion for what it is see sin and temptation for what it is it brings death and destruction put that to death put temptation to death put sin to death the good news is that jesus has not left us to fight this battle on our own now we know that through the cross and resurrection that jesus extends to us grace and mercy he withholds judgment of which we are worthy because we say, yes, we are enemies. We have not chosen to follow you. We have sinned against you. And we acknowledge you as Savior and Lord. By only you can we be forgiven of our sin. And so that extension of mercy and grace is given to us so that we can be restored to God, forgiven of sin and restored back to God. But that's not it. Not only are we forgiven, but the promise of the cross is that he gives us a means and equips us to wage war against the sin and temptation that we face as believers in everyday life. And that's good news. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. For he himself bore our sins on the tree. That's the gospel. Died on the cross, rose from the grave victorious over sin and death. But for he himself bore our sins on the tree that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We're not just healed of past sin and even future sin, but we are equipped to overcome and find victory in the temptation that we face in every single day life. Why or how? By the cross, by the gospel. The same work, the same person that forgives us or allows us to be forgiven of sin also is the very means by which we have victory over the temptation that we face every single day. That's what Peter means by it's the tree. It's the he who bore your sins on the tree that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. It's the cross that frees us to live to righteousness. By your wounds, by his wounds you have been healed, not to continue on into sin, not to continue to make the wrong choice on the rooftop, but to be able to say yes to Christ and have victory over sin and death in our life as followers of Jesus. According to Jesus, Jesus died for our sin, but also so that we could live a righteous and free life. A life of putting the death to death, the deeds of the flesh. Jesus didn't leave us without a means, did he? He says I am the means. You want to have victory over temptation? I am the means. You want to defeat sin? I am the means. The writer of Hebrews would put it another way. He would say in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, after he says, you know, get rid of all that sin that entangles, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And so the writer of Hebrews says, you want to live a victorious life, then you have to keep Jesus, the gospel, in clear view of your life. You need to cling to the gospel every single day of your life. If you want to run this race well, cling to Jesus. If you want to run this race well, you don't graduate from the gospel. You cling to the gospel. You preach the gospel to yourself every single day, especially as you face those moments of temptation." The way we put temptation and sin to death is by keeping the gospel in full view in our life, looking to Jesus. Paul describes it this way, as living by the Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. That's what David should have done. We have the advantage of having the Holy Spirit. But David should have put that temptation to death. But Paul says, if you're a child of God, if you're a son and daughter of God, then you live by the Spirit, and it's by the Spirit, keeping Christ in full view, clinging to the gospel, you put to death the deeds of the flesh and the temptation that we face. That's what happens with the children of God. When we face temptation, when possible destruction is before us, and hopefully we see it as clearly as the wise woman Abel saw it. David didn't see it. He was caught up in a moment. And all he could see was the promise of that lie that he would have satisfaction and pleasure for a moment. All he could see was the promise of the lie and not see it for what it was, the destruction to come. But by the grace of God, may we be able to see it when temptation comes. And we're not called to cower, the Word of God says, as a follower of Christ, as a son and daughter of God. You don't have to cower when you face temptation. No, we can claim the gospel for ourselves. We can claim the gospel for ourselves. Now, there are a lot of different ways that we can keep Christ in view, staying in the word of God, reminding ourselves of the promises of God found in his word and clinging to those promises. I Hopefully that you're doing that. That's why we call you to do reverse, for us to be on the same page together, in the word of God together, reminding ourselves of the truth to God together. But let me tell you another practical way in which I overcome sin and temptation in my own life on a daily basis. I preach the gospel to myself. So this is the way that I make every attempt to hold captive my thoughts to Christ by clinging to the gospel. I face temptation. I'm in the grocery store. I'm at home. Whatever comes, and it could be any form of temptation. In the moment that I face temptation, by the grace of God, I begin to claim the gospel. I'm a son of God. I don't belong to you, sin. I don't belong to you, temptation. I have been freed by the blood of Christ to live to righteousness. I'm no longer a slave to sin, I'm a slave to God. And I remind myself, Jesus died for that sin so that I could be rescued from my sin. Jesus rose from the grave so that I could have victory over sin and death. I preach that to myself over and over and over again as long as it takes for me to put that sin to death. As long as it takes. Maybe for you, it's a word of scripture that you can just memorize and when you face that temptation, you recite that word of God to yourself over and over again. Peter says, the reason Jesus Christ died on that tree, bore your sins on that tree, is so that you not only can be forgiven, but to live to righteousness. Cling to the gospel. Hold captive every thought to Christ. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. That's how I try to make that a reality in my own life. May we be like the wise woman in Abel. May we be like the wise woman in Abel to see sin and a rebellion for what it is. And by the grace of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, put it to death. Go to war against sin and temptation. That's my question for us. As simple and as practical as that sounds, preaching the gospel to yourself will you go to war like that on your rooftops? Men, will you go to war? Young men who are on the precipice of significant decisions in your life, will you go to war in front of that computer screen or wherever you may find yourself facing any kind of temptation, will you go to war and remind the evil one and the enemy that I do not belong to you anymore? I'm a son of God, redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ. Will you go to war? Some of us have been so lazy. We don't find ourselves in the word of God as often as we ought to be. We're not equipped to fight, but I'm asking you, will you fight? Will you fight? The consequences are too dire, and Christ has made us a way to be victorious. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who made a way for us to not only know forgiveness of the tragedy of sin in our life, but also to equip us to wage war against the temptation that we face every day. Lord, we know that you have freed us to live a life of righteousness. Help us to live that way. Help us to fight with the tools that you've given us, your word, sword of truth. And the gospel, help us to fight. Thank you for the victory. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let me invite you to respond. Um, It may be that there are men right here in this room that say, you know what? I've been way too lazy. I haven't fought this fight well. And you just need to recommit and say, Lord, I want to fight this fight. It's not worth it. And women, you too. All of us who face temptation, will you commit By the power of the Spirit of God and the gospel to fight, to say no on the rooftop. These altars are open for you to come and pray. You pray. If you're coming to faith for the first time saying, I want to surrender to this Jesus. I know that I have sinned against him. Choice after choice. And I can only find forgiveness through Christ who died for my sin and rose again. Would you come and profess that faith today? You can let me know. Uh, Pastor Brian's here too. You can let him know. We would just love to know what God is doing. Let's respond today.
1: seated but please know that we consider the time of offering as a time of worship so as you do this you consider all that God has given you and you offer him your life your heart your pocketbook whatever it is that is totally completely his please continue to worship
2: But for the millions of children in America who receive subsidized meals during the school year, summer means uncertainty, instability, and hunger. This year, Children's Hunger Fund is choosing hope, not hunger. We're calling it the Summer of Hope, and we need your help to provide meals for children in need across the U.S. How can you help? Project Food Pack. Take a food pack home and use the provided list to shop for nutritious items to fill the box. Return the filled food pack and the Children's Hunger Fund team will pick up the boxes for distribution. Every food pack holds up to 48 meals for hungry kids. It's that simple. Visit our website to discover all the ways you can make this summer about hope for hungry children. How many meals will you provide in the Summer of Hope?
3: My name is Steve and I get the distinct pleasure from Children's Hunger Fund to uh, share about this new relationship with First Baptist Church and Children's Hunger Fund through Project Food Pack. Um, Today as you guys leave, you can pick up a box, an empty box that will have a grocery list that you can go out for the next four weeks and pack as a family a box of food. These boxes will then in turn go back to our distribution here in San Antonio, which will then be distributed to the homes of families in need with the intent to build a relationship and through that relationship to share the gospel. In about three weeks, Byron will also um, share about the next vision of First Baptist also being a distributor and going out and and with the families in need here that the the church service to um, share and and to deliver these food packs. So um, again, just very thankful for you guys, very excited to see where this relationship goes um, and, and for, for God's glory. So thank you guys. God bless you. And you guys have a wonderful rest of the day.
1: As you leave and you go and you pick these up, Byron will be out in the hall. You can ask some questions about this, but oftentimes people ask, what can I do? All of us need groceries, all of us shop, and this is this is a great way to fill a need right here as we seek the welfare of the city, right, right where we are. So so we're grateful for this this partnering with Children Hunger Fund. Let me call your attention to a couple of announcements. There are several announcements in your bulletin that I want to call attention to. The first today after church is a fostering together luncheon. Um, the church has responded exceptionally well to this sign-up, um, but I'm, I understand that if you still are interested, you have questions, you can drop in to the luncheon, and I would encourage you to do that. Would you pray? This is a need in this city. This is a need in this country that we, as a church, would rise up and care for these children. We are praying for these families. This is a, a worthwhile mission. We are grateful. Tonight, this has been on your calendar for months, and I'm just reminding you, tonight, Handbell and children's choir concert, and you're gonna be there. Here's the deal: at five o'clock in Unity Hall will be our middle school and our adult um, handbell ensembles. It is always standing room only, so get there early. S- following that, here in the sanctuary at 6 p.m. will be our children's choirs and one of our um, our youth choirs to come and bring the work that they've they've been a part of all year long. It's also a time to celebrate our missions work um, with with our RAs and our GAs. It is just it's gonna be worthwhile. If you have a child that is singing tonight, come. If you've ever had a child, come. If you can spell the word kid, you come. That's what it's about tonight. On June the 9th, we're going to continue our time for teaching in our series of Repent witness and disciple. Pastor has heard from the Lord that this is the direction that the church needs to go. So as we begin this this phase of witnessing, what are the practical steps that we need to to equip ourselves with as we go out into the city? So be there June 9th. That'll be um, here in the sanctuary. And the Vacation Bible School is uh, uh, upon us. Um, you know that this is a wonderful opportunity for us to reach out to the city to instruct these kids in the gospel. So there are a couple opportunities to be trained and to uh, be ready to serve this. So you'll look at the website, you'll see Jimmy, and you'll be a part of that. It is it is worthwhile. Brian. Third uh,
3: family.
0: Oh, there we go. Uh, church family, we've got a couple of folks coming for membership this morning. Uh, Jennifer and Will Warren, uh, newly married couple, are here. And would somebody, yes, yeah, so let's have some folks stand with them this morning. Uh, Jennifer is coming for membership from Powell Baptist Church in Houston, and Will is coming from First Baptist Church in Canyon. Uh, so if you are happy to
3: see these folks this morning, then you welcome to. Church family will uh, pray for them and support them and integrate them into this family, which we signify by saying, amen? Amen. Amen.
4: Amen. 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 We did welcome
0: to membership, and we don't escort them to that place to stand over there. So Thank you so <laughs> much.
1: Pastor Danny went over across the street to uh, deliver a word of welcome uh, to the Lagos congregation, so you won't be able to greet him on the way out, but I do hope that you'll encourage him. I- isn't it a blessing to know that God has sent such wonderful pastors who love the Word of God and are willing to deliver that? Amen. It is, it is very frequent in my prayers that I, I give thanks to God for the team that he has assembled here at First Baptist Church. Let us be dismissed with all hail the power of Jesus' name.